G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Dr. Michael Youssef. Long before creation, Lucifer, the angel of light, rebelled against the holy God, and he was thrown out of the heavens, and he wanted to take the earth for his domain, but he couldn't until Adam handed it to him on a platter. And God had to restate his authority over planet earth. God had to rescue planet Earth from the foreign invaders of his property. And he did this on a hill called Calvary. God always had a distinctive call on Dr. Yusuf's life from the beginning, leading him to found the Church of the Apostles in Atlanta through a fascinating journey out of a politically charged Egypt to Lebanon, Australia, California, and ultimately Atlanta. Thanks for joining Dr. Michael Yusuf for this edition of Leading the Way. Dr. Yusuf understood God's ownership of his life, yielding to a call to develop a media ministry that now touches people across six continents in 28 languages through the many life-impacting outreaches of Leading the Way. Today, a message called, He Owns It All. Here's Dr. Michael Yusuf. Children and grow-ups alike know and understand the joy of being reunited with a loved one after a period of separation. I know children tend to be a little bit more exuberant than adults. And I remember many years ago when our children were small and I was traveling overseas a great deal, it was such a great joy to come home to the exuberance and the welcome of our children. Adults also feel the same way, but uh, they kind of don't let it all hang like children do. (laughs) And the reason I'm saying this is because Psalm 24 is a psalm of an emotional reunion. And it is expressed in a childlike exuberance. Not in a reserve of those who are uncertain of their faith, but of a childlike trust and confidence in the Lord. It is not surprising, you know, that Jesus often used a child as an example. It is not a surprise that Jesus often referred to a child's faith and a child's trust and and a child's innocence and, and child's enthusiasm and none of the adult's cynicism. Let me put Psalm 24 in its historical context before I explain this uncontrollable exuberance of the psalmist in Psalm 24. The nation of Israel lost their Ark of the Covenant to the Philistines. The Ark of the Covenant, for those of you who don't know, it's a box. It's a really very small box that God told Moses, he said, you put the Ten Commandments, the two tablets in it, plus a jar of the manna and his staff, and to keep it in the middle of the people, in the tent where God will show up. It is an indication, it is a symbol of the presence of God in the midst of his people. It was a very significant object. 
It wasn't just any box. It was to them God in the midst. It represented God's presence in their midst. It represented their national identity. It represented who they are. Without that box, they are nobody and they are nothing. So, I want to impress on your mind the importance of that box, the importance of that Ark of the Covenant. Because for seven long months, the Philistines thought that if they can hijack the Ark of the Covenant and take it in their midst, that they can get the same power and the same strength of the presence of God in the midst of His people. For seven long months, the Philistines thought that they could rob the Israelites of the source of their power and usurp it to themselves. And it backfired. (laughs) Because the Ark of the Covenant, to them, it brought death, it brought pain, it brought a curse upon the Philistines. So they decided that it's too hot to handle. (laughs) And let's give it back to the Israelites. So as the Ark of the Covenant comes in the midst again, And as they celebrate with thanksgiving to God for the return of this sacred object, David wrote Psalm 24. Let's look at it under three headings. First of all, in verses 1 and 2, you see the Lord's ownership of the universe. Secondly, verses 3 to 6, the Lord's offer is the ultimate. And thirdly, verses 7 to 10, the Lord's overcoming is unavoidable. The Lord's ownership of the universe. Look at verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Some of you are saying, well, wait a minute. Isn't the earth belong to Satan? Isn't the Bible call him the prince of the air? Doesn't the Bible call him the prince of this world? Well, hang in there with me. I'm going to explain it to you in a minute. Just keep your mind there. You see, the Lord's territorial claims is the ownership of all of the galaxies in the universe. The countless stars, the empires of space, the unfathomable orbits in which they move, they're all His. They belong to Him. He owns it all. One planet in the midst of a hundred million galaxies is the Milky Way. Tens of billions of stars spinning around the center in a form of a giant disk. An enormous disk dotted stars. You've seen them in science books. A hundred thousand light years from rim to rim. An inconceivable 600 million billion miles of stars. And they're all his. He owns it all. Some 30,000 light years from the center, from the disk of the stars, is a modest-sized planet which we call the sun. The sun spins around the hub of its universe, carrying with it a family of baby planets. Here's how you can imagine it. They are spinning around in these tangible stars, holding onto the sun like kids holding onto their mother's skirt. And that mama and her children make their orbit around the center of the galaxy once every 200 million years. They're all his. And then you find some teeny 
weenie brain professor somewhere says, I think there is no God. My God have mercy on him. One of those baby planets holding under its mother's skirt is called planet Earth. C.S. Lewis, by the way, calls it the silent planet. And the reason he calls it the silent planet, because he visualized the stars and the galaxies and the planets making merry music as they scurry around the throne of God. Except for one that he calls the silent planet. Because it has no song. It is quarantined. It is a planet that is diseased. And it's a planet that is sick. And that's planet Earth. You know, others have called it, far from calling it the silent planet, others have said, you should call it the sobbing planet. Why call it the sobbing planet? Because it is filled with screams and cries of agony. Of those unborn babies being butchered in the mother's womb. It is filled with violence and bloodshed. It is filled with sin and guilt. It is filled with sleepless nights and worry-filled mornings. But out of all these millions and millions and millions of planets, the maker and the creator of them all focuses on planet Earth. One planet. The Earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. (laughs) But why the Earth? Why the Earth? Why not Mars? Why not Mercury? Why not Venus? Why not Saturn? Why not Neptune? Why? Why the Earth that is a tiny speck in relationship and in comparison to the size of the other planets. Why? Why the earth? I want to tell you why. Because nowhere else in the universe does God have need to reassert his claims. Long before Adam and Eve, long before the Garden of Eden, long before the serpent in the Garden of Eden, long before creation, Lucifer, the angel of light, rebelled against the holy God, and he was thrown out of the heavens, and he wanted to take the earth for his domain, but he couldn't until Adam handed it to him on a platter. And God had to restate his authority over planet earth. God had to rescue planet Earth from the foreign invaders of his property. And he did this on a hill called Calvary. The Earth is the Lord's. No matter what the atheists say, the Earth is the Lord's. No matter what the agnostics say, the Earth is the Lord's. No matter what the people for the American way and the secular humanists say, the earth is the Lord's. No matter what some of the scientists say, the earth is the Lord's. No matter what the NEA say, the earth is the Lord's. He rescued it. He arrested it for his ownership. How many of you bought real estate? If you've ever bought real estate, you know that you had to go through what they call a title search. Why do you have to do a title search in order to make sure that no one had a claim on that property from way back? And the reason you buy a title insurance is to protect your property from some past owner who come and said, I own this thing. And the guy who sold it to you is an imposter. Listen, it is in the same way that God came to earth 2,000 years ago. Why? In order that he may reclaim his title deed and throw the imposter out. The Lord's ownership of the universe 
Secondly, the Lord's offer is the ultimate. Look at verse 3 of Psalm 24. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in His holy place? Do you know what the real answer to that question is? No one. No one. Not you, not me, no one. (laughs) That's the real answer. That's the real answer to that question. No one is good enough to stand before God. No one is righteous enough to stand before God. No one is pure enough to stand before God. No one is clean enough to stand before God. In fact, in David's day, only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and then it was once a year and for a very brief period of time. But here, through this prophecy... The Lord is issuing an all-inclusive invitation. The Lord is making the ultimate offer available to everyone. The Lord is giving an open door. The Lord is giving an opportunity for everyone. Who wants to come? Verse 4 and 5 says, those who come. Here are their qualifications. Those who are justified before God. Those who have been washed by the blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Those whose sins are forgiven and forgotten. Those whose outward life reflects their inward pure hearts. Those who have clean hands and their clean hands reflects their inward integrity. Those who have, who search not after the temporary and the shallow and the superficial. Those who love God and not the world. Those who live for God, not for the self. Those who set their hearts on things above where Christ is, not on things below. Those who have been sanctified because they've already been justified. That's the qualification of those who can come. In the Old Testament, in order a person to be redeemed, has to have a kinsman redeemer. Now, a kinsman redeemer in the Old Testament has to have two qualifications. Number one, he's got to be very wealthy in order to be able to pay the payment of redeeming someone. The second qualification is that he has to be related to the person who's being redeemed. A stranger cannot just walk in and say, okay, I'll give you the money. No, no, no. You have, the money is only one part of it. The other part is that he has to be related. He's got to be a relative. Let me ask you a question. Who is richer than the Lord? Who's closer to us than the Lord? Why do you think Jesus said to all of his followers to call his father daddy? Is he trying to be nice? Is he just trying to be equal employment opportunity? No. Is he making people feel good? No. Because we have to be blood relatives and we have to be beloved children in order that he may redeem us. And you can't get closer than a father. The Lord's ownership of the universe. The Lord's offer is the ultimate. Thirdly, the Lord's overcoming is unavoidable. Unavoidable. No matter what goes on in the world, there's going to be a war in the Middle East, the Lord's going to overcome. Terrorists were running wild in Europe and the United States. doesn't matter because the Lord will overcome. His overcoming is inevitable. 
Five times in the last three verses of Psalm 24, the Holy Spirit speaks of Christ as the King of glory. I want to tell you something. If that part of the psalm does not excite you, something wrong with you. Amen. The challenge goes out twice. Who is the King of glory? And there the answer comes in twice. The first answer, the Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Then the challenge comes in a second time. Who is the king of glory? And the answer comes in again. The Lord, almighty, he is the king of glory. You know what? I'm going to do something. I'm going to say something in a minute that is going to make some of you misunderstand me. But since that's nothing new anyway, I'm going to go ahead and do it. But just hear me out, okay? There are so many churches that are dead and dying throughout this land and throughout the world. There are so many lifeless Christians all over the world today. And the reason for this is because the real Christ is not the center of their lives. I stack my life on it. The real Christ is not the preoccupation of their minds and heart and soul. That is why they live lifeless life. We have been so brainwashed by the concept of the meek and lowly Jesus that we have forgotten that he is a conquering Jesus. So many people confuse meekness with weakness. Yes, Jesus was meek, but he is not weak. And that's a false image of the victorious Jesus. It's a false image of the resurrected Jesus. It's a false image of the conquering Jesus. And the reason we have insipid churches, and the reason we have insipid Christians, and the reason we have insipid Christian life is because we have forgotten that our God is a God of power and might. That our God is the Lord of hosts. That our God is a conquering God. That our God has defeated Satan and sin. That our God defeated death and the grave. That our God has conquered sin and guilt. That our God has conquered hatred and bitterness. That our God has conquered fear of rejection. That our God has conquered worry and anxiety. Listen, when you come to worship the sovereign, conquering Lord, you need to remember that you are not here to worship because you're not the servant of a defeated, weakling, dead hero, but because you come to celebrate the living power of the conquering King. Who is the King of glory? The Lord mighty in battle. Doesn't say the Lord wimpy in the struggle. <laughs> mighty in battle. Mighty in battle. In fact, between verses 8 and 9, there are several centuries of this age of grace, this present time of grace. What does that mean? The first one took place when he was asked, who is this king of glory? was the day of his ascension, when he rose victorious, spent 40 days after his resurrection, then he was sent into heaven. That was the first question, who is the king of glory, the mighty in battle, Lord Jesus Christ, victorious. And right now, that's verse 8. Right now, God is gathering all His children from all over the globe, from all over the world. He's gathering His children from every tribe, from every nation, from all over the world. He's gathering His children. And you and I are to, use, to be used of God as His instrument of getting His children home. 
The conquering Jesus right now is gathering his own. Those heaven born and heaven bound. He is gathering them. And soon and very soon, the dead in Christ shall rise. That's from our perspective because they've been dead. But from Christ's perspective, they're going to come back with him in glory in the clouds. And we're going to see them with him. Because to us, they are dead. But those in Christ are as living right now as they've never lived before. When the trumpet shall sound and the world will come to a standstill, then we all shall look up in the sky and all of the peoples of the earth shall see the believers moving upward, moving heavenward, faster than Superman ever dreamed of. Those who are on the highways, those who are in the air, those who are at work, those who are imprisoned for Jesus' sake, those in Africa, those in Asia, those in America, those in Europe, those in New Zealand, Australia, and the ends of the earth, they go, look up, and they see the believers go, and say, look and see them go. And those who have rejected him, those who have rejected the conquering Jesus, will cry to no avail. They will call upon the name of the Lord, but no one will help them. They who have thought that God doesn't care what you believe or how you live, those who have been misguided by church leaders, that Jesus is not the only way, those sorrowful souls will tremble and they will go to churches but no one will be able to help them. They will seek after God, will not find Him. They will knock, no one will open. They will ask, but no one will answer. And as the conquering victorious Lord leads His own into heaven of heavens, again the question will be asked by the angels in heaven, who is the King of glory? And he's going to point to all of his own. The multitudes of thousands upon thousands, those who have been redeemed by his blood, he's going to point to them and says, the Lord of hosts, he is the King of glory. And at that point, we get the same triumphal entry into heaven as Jesus himself had on the day of his ascension. And so shall we be with the Lord forever. Are you going to be with those who will ascend to his holy place? Are you? Are you among those who will be ascend to heaven? The very fact that you're here today or watching by television or listening by radio is the Lord's way of inviting you to come. Because God is saying to you right now, you can ascend into my holy hill You can ascend into my holy heaven, but first, you must trust in my son Jesus to get you there. You're listening to Leading the Way Audio with Dr. Michael Youssef. Perhaps you'd like to speak with someone about spiritual things, someone who may be able to help you understand more about what it means to live a life in Christ. Well, start the conversation by filling out a web form at ltw.org Jesus. As this episode comes to a close, allow me to share the story of a young Syrian and his family and their journey to Christ. Here's a summary. When his father became a Christian, 
local Muslims beat him with pipes, dragging him down the street to declare publicly what he'd done. His father miraculously survived, and when released from the hospital, started sharing the gospel in his community, even in the face of persecution and death. His father's passion for Jesus is what led him and other family members to become believers. Because of their family's faith, they have all suffered many difficulties, and their experience emphasizes the importance and impact of Leading the Way teams standing with Christians in their time of need. Learn more of how Leading the Way is sharing the gospel worldwide. Call a ministry representative at 1300 133 589. Keep that number handy, 1-300-133-589. Or learn more online, ltw.org, ltw.org. This program is furnished by Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. Connect with us via television, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and all of the social media networks. Learn more at ltw.org. for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.